Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do good to your servants gathered here this morning according to your word. Oh, Lord, we know that we cannot ask for anything from your hand except in accordance with your word, in accordance with your promises. Oh, so, Lord, we pray that you would bless us this morning, that you would pour out your spirit upon us. We pray that you would even cause revival amongst us this morning as we listen to what your son, Jesus Christ, said many years ago. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we continue our series this morning in John's Gospel, and we finished John chapter 9, and last week we looked at John chapter 10, the first words of the Lord Jesus as he was speaking there, and how he's describing himself as a shepherd and his people, God's people, Christians, as the sheep. And so he says that he is the shepherd and that he looks after his sheep, he calls his sheep to himself, And this week we continue on by looking at what he has to say in verses 7 through to verse 13. They're the verses we're concentrating on this morning, so I encourage you to have a church Bible open before you. John chapter 10, verse 7 through to verse 13, where Jesus now says that he's not just the shepherd, but he also is the gate for the sheep. We see that in verse 7. Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. And then in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So now the question then is, is Jesus the shepherd or is he the gate? How does this fit together? How can he be both at the same time? Well, of course, he can do multiple functions. He is God's son. But it may be helpful for us to understand something of the context that he's speaking in, which is, of course, uh, in people who are very much familiar with farming as it was done in the Middle East. And uh, so he is there speaking to Jews who are very much well aware of the farming techniques. And there's an account given in a few different commentaries, and Kent Hughes in one of his sermons gives this as well, about the Old Testament scholar Sir George Adam Smith, who was once travelling through Palestine when he came across a shepherd and his sheep. And so he talks to this shepherd, this Old Testament scholar, about the way that he does his farming and particularly the way he protects his sheep. And so it says, during their conversation, that's the Old Testament scholar and this uh, shepherd in Israel, the shepherd showed him the fold into which he led his sheep at night. It consisted of four walls with one open space. Sir George asked the shepherd whether that opening was how the sheep got in. Yes, said the shepherd. And when they are in there, they are perfectly safe. But there is no door, said Sir George. I am the door, said the shepherd. He explained, when the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. And so if this is uh, a true uh, account of what would be happening back in the time of Jesus, of course this is a modern account, but we can see here how a shepherd could also be the door if he lay in the space. And so where it says there, I am the gate... Uh, that may not be the best of translations for us as we're trying to understand this because it could, it, if we translate it as gate, it means that it must be a fence with a gate in it. But if he's just the door, he's the doorway, then it helps us to understand what Jesus is saying. So Jesus says that he is the door. He is like the shepherd who lies down in the doorway so that the sheep are protected. And the sheep need to be protected. Why is the door important for the sheep? Well, by having such a door, the sheep are saved. It actually says that in the text in verse 9. Look with me there now, verse 9 of John chapter 10. 
I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Having a door saves the sheep. Now, what does sheep need saving from? Well, it's listed there in uh, some of the verses that we've looked at today about the things, the predators, that sheep are in danger of. There are thieves and robbers, it mentions there in verse 8. And then in verse 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Sheep are in danger from humans, malicious humans. And then, of course, we see in verse 12 that... Sheep are in danger of animal predators as well, and particularly wolves. In verse 12 it says, The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Sheep are in danger from predators, and they need saving from these predators because they can't protect themselves. Sheep are quite defenceless. What can they do when a wolf comes? They can run. And they can bleat. They might be able to bite a little bit with their narrow mouths, but they can't really do much to defend themselves. They need saving. They need a doorway by which they can pass into safe shelter and a doorway that will protect them against thieves and robbers and wolves that may come and attack them. And so this illustration that Jesus gives here of his relationship with his people and how he works for their good is a very good illustration because Christians are very defenceless people as well. We are very defenceless people like sheep and we have predators who are out to get us. We like to think that we're very independent and we can protect ourselves, that we're quite firm and strong. But as soon as sin comes knocking on our door, as soon as Satan comes and tempts us, we give in far too easily. He is a wolf that likes to lead us astray. And we are led astray all too quickly. And then the wolves of death and hell chase us and we can't outrun them. We as human beings, we give in to sin so easily. And then because of our sin, we deserve to die and to be punished for all of eternity. And we can't outrun that. Lots of people have tried to outrun death in this world. They've never been able to do it. It doesn't matter how powerful you are, how much money you have, you can't pay death off. It continues to chase you and hound you and eventually you are attacked and dragged to hell. We need shelter in this world. We are sinful creatures. We have many predators that are out for us and we need a secure door that admits us and protects us. And Jesus is that door. What is the door that we should enter as sinful creatures that need salvation? We enter through Jesus Christ. That's what he says there. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. And then in verse 9, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus is a doorway by which we can be saved. He's not a doorway that leads into further danger, which some doors do in this world. If we go through certain doors, it just gets us into more danger than we might be fleeing from. There's certain doors at the zoo that you can pass through quite nicely and be quite safe. There's other doors at the zoo that you do not want to go through because of what you might find on the other side. There are many dangerous doors that we can pass through. Even in our church hall, you may not be even aware, there's, there's different doors in there. There's one door that you can't actually open because if you opened it and went through it, you'd just fall a, a metre or so down to the ground. It goes nowhere. 
You may never have noticed. Afterwards, you might want to have a look. Uh, but that is a dangerous door. You do not want to pass through that, pass through that door. But Jesus is not a dangerous door to pass through. You go through him and you go into salvation. Jesus is the door, doorway by which we can have life. That is what he said to us in verse 10. Verse 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. When you pass through Jesus, you get away from the predators, but it's not as though you go into a place that's kind of okay, at least you're not going to get killed, at least you're not going to have much pain. No, you go into a place of life and life to the full. He clarifies what he means by the life that we have. It's life to the full. What is that life then? Well, one way that we can understand what it means to have life to the full is by the quantity of it. And that is what we understand Jesus gives us. He gives us eternal life. Life to the full means eternal. It goes on and on and on forever. If we pass through Jesus as the door, we go into heaven which goes on for all of eternity. And it's not just life to the full in terms of quantity, it's also life to the full in terms of quality. The life that we live in heaven will be glorious. It will be wonderful. It will be an enjoyable, pleasurable life for all of eternity where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there are no tears, there is no sin, there is no Satan, there are no predators in heaven. We are safe in heaven. It is a life, life to the full in terms of quality. But we can even have such life now in one respect. Yes, we can't have the glories of heaven in their full right now, but we have a taste of heaven even now. If we pass through Jesus Christ, we inherit great blessings. We can have life to the full even now. Yes, the world looks at Christians, they look at the church and think, oh, you're missing out on so much. All those things that the Ten Commandments forbid, oh, they're so pleasurable, they're so wonderful, they're so good, and you're just missing out. I remember in high school, another boy telling me, he knew I was a Christian, and he said, being a Christian is just about denying the body everything it wants. And you're going to miss out for the rest of your life, Joel, if you continue being a Christian. But Jesus says otherwise. He says, if you go through me, you will have life and life to the full. And that begins even now. Look with me now at that fabulous psalm that we often know so well, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And let's consider what it means to have God as our shepherd, to have Jesus as our shepherd, and to have him as the gate. It's found on page 544, page 544. This psalm speaks specifically about the Lord as our shepherd and then describes what it is to have life with Jesus, with God as our shepherd. Psalm 23, page 544, reading from verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, many aspects of this psalm are fulfilled in the life to come. But David is not speaking just of the life to come. He is saying that goodness and love will follow him all the days of his life in this world as well. We can have life to the full even now if we pass through the gate that is Jesus Christ. The wolves are howling all around us. Satan is after us. Sin is after us. Death is after us. Hell is after us. But if we find shelter in Jesus Christ, if we pass through him as the door, we have life and life to the full. We may not have material riches in great abundance in this world, and the world may think, look down on us because of it and say, you're not enjoying a full life because you don't have as much money as I do. But we know that we have great spiritual riches, that we have great joy, that we have great contentedness and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have life now, life to the full. What a blessed doorway it is that is Jesus Christ. How good it is to have a shepherd who is the door to life, life to the full. We have an entranceway into heaven itself to the land of goodness that goes on for all of eternity. I liked the Enid Blyton children's books when I was growing up, and so now I'm sharing them with my own children, and there's classics in there. There's the famous five, there's the secret seven, and there's the magic faraway tree. That uh, There's three books about this faraway tree that these children go and they climb up in the forest and they go to different lands that come to the top of the tree. And some lands are very scary, but some lands are really nice. And there's one land that's called the land of goodies. And the children love going to the land of goodies in this faraway tree. And in one of Ian Blyton's other books, The Wishing Chair, the children get to go via the wishing chair to the land of goodies. What is the land of goodies? Well, basically everything there is edible. Uh, so there's chocolate biscuit trees that basically just flower chocolate biscuits all year round. There's uh, jelly plants. And so basically, if you're walking around the land of goodies, you've got to have a spoon with you so that you can scoop up jelly from these plants that are flowering all around you. There's Everything is edible, pretty much. You can eat people's fences. You can eat people's houses, although no, you're not supposed to do so because then they get angry. The shops there, the bakery, they don't charge you for the cakes in there. It's the land of goodies. And so it's wonderful when the land of goodies swings around to the faraway tree and there's an entrance through the cloud at the top of the tree into the land of goodies. A way is opened into the land of goodies. And that is something, just a little taste of what it is to enter through Jesus Christ into the land of goodness that goes on for all eternity, which isn't simply focused on food, but on all the good things that the Lord has to offer us goodness and love that will follow us for all the days of our lives, now and always. But then we ask the question, how is it possible that we can be saved from the wolves? How is it possible that Jesus is the gate? Because we know it's very hard to get into heaven. How is it possible that Jesus is the gate? How can we know that he really has the right to say he is the gate, he is the doorway for the sheep to be saved? Well, that's because Jesus is a blood-soaked door. 
Here's a blood-soaked door. Remember, some shepherds would lie in the doorway, the entrance into the sheepfold, to protect the sheep from those who would come and attack them, and particularly wolves. Now, our shepherd did lie down in the doorway. He says that he lays down his life for the sheep. He lay down in the doorway, and a wolf did come. A wolf did come, the wolf of death and judgment and hell. And Jesus was consumed. Jesus is not like the hired hand that we read of in verse 12. What did it say in verse 12? The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. No, what is our shepherd like? We read in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus laid down in the doorway and he was attacked. Hell came for him. Death came for him and devoured him. And so through him, we can have eternal life because he died in our place. The wolf came and devoured him so that we as his sheep would not be devoured, that we would be sheltered from such wolves. But you may say, oh, but isn't death and hell a ravenous wolf? How do we know that Jesus did indeed satisfy such a wolf? We see people die every day and we hear about hell and how more and more people are going there. And we like to think that certain people really, really don't like may go to hell. That there's lots of people in history that would be very pleased to know that they're in hell right now. It's a ravenous wolf. Surely Jesus couldn't satisfy that wolf. But we know that he did because he was God's son. He wasn't any ordinary man. He was the God-man, and he did indeed satisfy the wolf of death and hell. I once went to a pancake restaurant, and I had a $50 voucher to spend there. Someone had generously given it to me, and the prices weren't too expensive, so I had uh, crepe pizza, and then I had the tall stack for dessert, and then I still had money left over, so I had an iced chocolate uh, after that. And by that point, I was the fullest that I've ever been in my entire life. My brother-in-law was next to me, and he started to poke my belly. And I said, you really don't want to do that because of the consequences that may happen. If you keep poking me in the ribs, you might start to see my lunch all over again. It was a time of great gluttony in my life. Uh, it is the time that I felt the fullest that I've ever felt. Um, it didn't occur to me at the time that maybe I could just have a more moderate meal and pay generously for somebody else's meal with my $50 voucher. But I was stuffed. I was literally stuffed full of yummy food. And I could not eat another bite. I wasn't sure I'd ever be able to eat another bite. Now that's the same with death and hell after feeding on Jesus Christ. Not another piece of lamb can be forced into death or hell that belongs to God, that belongs to his sheep. If you forced more of Christ's lamb into hell after that wolf had fed on Jesus, it would spew you back up. It cannot take any more of those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Death and hell are completely satisfied when they feed on Jesus Christ. None of his sheep can be forced into death or hell afterwards. And so we as Christians, we must never forget the goodness of our Saviour. 
Imagine what it would be like to be left outside the sheepfold, to be left outside of heaven. As the wolves come, we have nowhere to go. It's not hard to imagine being left outside a door because there's many doors in this world that we don't have access to. When I was on leave last, Jill and I visited the New South Wales government house and there's lots of doors in that place and the tour guide admits us through the main door and then takes us through different rooms and shows us the the dining area and gives us a little overview of what goes on. But when we first went into the main hall, she told us which doors we should not even try to to enter. If If we're looking for the bathroom or something, tell her, don't go trying different doors in New South Wales Government House because they're all alarmed, and if you open one of those doors when you shouldn't, well, then you'll be removed from that door very, very quickly. The police will come. There is a police presence there in New South Wales Government House and they will protect what's behind those doors. We know what it is to have doors that we can't be admitted to. There's many places that we can't go into because we're not wise enough, we're not powerful enough, we don't have enough money to enter behind those doors. And we could bang on those doors all we like, but if anything, it won't gain us entrance, it'll gain us a quick exit even further afield from them. But Jesus has opened the door so that we can escape the wolves of sin and death and judgment and hell and Satan himself in this world. But we should never think it was easy for Jesus to do so. We've already spoken about the fact that it took his life for us to gain access to that sheepfold. It wasn't easy for a few reasons. One is that we're pathetic sheep that nobody would want. Look at what it says about the hired hand in verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. When we understand how sinful we are, how wretched, how blind, how pitiful we are, why would anyone care to open a doorway for us to go into eternal security? Think of the people around you. Would they be interested in opening a door for you when they know the sins that you've committed against them? People in your lives, would they be willing to open a door for you when they know what you've done with your life? But then think of God himself and a a God who is pure and holy and has never sinned at all and then he looks at you in your sin. How wretched you must look in his eyes. If you look like a wretch in the eyes of other humans who have sinned, how wretched you must look in the eyes of God in your sin. But Jesus cared for us, unlike the hired hand. He loved us and gave his life for us so that we could be saved. It wasn't easy when you consider who we are. And it wasn't easy when you consider that he had to satisfy the wolf of death and judgment and hell. Many have given their lives for others in this world, but no one's been able to open a doorway into heaven. To save anyone from the wolf of hell is something that no one's been able to do except the Lord Jesus. And why else wasn't it easy? Well, it's not easy to open a door and not charge anything from those who go through. There's lots of doorways in Sydney that they'll open them to you, but you have to pay something. You don't have to pay the full cost of the establishment that you may be going into, but you pay something to go through that door. You just think of fairgrounds. When you go through, there's a fee that is payable, a small fee, that helps keep the door open. Did Jesus require a fee from us? 
to enter into heaven. If you could get billions of people to pay a small amount, wouldn't that help in opening that doorway to heaven? No, Jesus knew that there is nothing that we can offer. Even a small amount we cannot give to enter into heaven because everything that we do is tainted with sin. We can't give anything. And so Jesus had to open the door all on his own. And thankfully, he did so and was able to do so. So Jesus, as the Son of God, has opened the hardest door to open. You think of all the doors in the world and how hard some of them are to open. The door to heaven is the hardest of all, but he opened it. And so we should never forget what he has done for us. And we should never forget the riches that we have through that door, that we have life and life to the full. And so therefore, we should not forget these things, and so we should love the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. We should love him for what he has done. He is not just our shepherd, he is the door by which we have life and life to the full. We are going to a land where there is no pain, there is no crying, there is no sickness, there is no sin, there is no Satan, and where God himself reigns. That's what life to the full ultimately means. We will be in the presence of God for all of eternity. We will see our shepherd face to face at the moment we walk by faith. But one day we will walk by sight in the eternal life that is to come. So we should start loving him now for what he has done for us in being our shepherd and being that doorway for us to pass through. And we should also try to tell others We should not be like these thieves and robbers that simply want to destroy and kill the sheep and take advantage of those around them. There are lots of people in this world that you have contact with. You can take advantage of them. Or you can lead them to the good shepherd. You can point them to the gate by which they can enter into eternal life. Will you really withhold life life to the full from those around you when you have found it? You know the way to safe shelter. Will you really abandon them to the wolves of this world? Won't you tell people that they can pass through that gate too and have life and have life to the full? Don't forget what Christ has done for you. Remember it by reminding yourself, by coming to church and hearing sermons, but also reading the scriptures. And even tonight, we're going to remember the Lord's death in the way that he has ordained by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. It's the first time we've done it at prayer meeting together. We'll see how it goes. Might have it as a smaller group at the evening service. We'll try it in a different way, maybe, a slightly different way. But come along and remember the Lord's death. Remember that the Good Shepherd laid down his life for the sheep so that you love him more and so that you're willing to show others the door. But if you're not a Christian, I have a challenge for you. If you've come along this morning, I love that you're here. But I have a challenge for you. Don't just look at the door. Pass through it. Doors are not made to be looked at unless they're made in some modern art gallery where they put a door on the wall and think it's all very fancy and interesting to look at. Doors are made to be passed through. And that is what Christ has done. He has become the door so that we can enter into eternal life. Do you realise that if you just look at the door of Jesus Christ this morning rather than pass through the door... The wolves are coming for you. Hell will come for you. Death will come for you. And the hell to come afterwards. People are being snatched down every day to hell. Will that include you? You don't know when your time will be up. Will you be snatched down because you have never entered through the door? 
Know this, that if you do not enter through the door of Jesus Christ, you will be snatched down one day. There's only one doorway into heaven, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to escape the wolves, and that is through Jesus Christ. And are you really going to miss out on the fullness of life that he offers? Life, life to the full is available to you if you will simply pass through the door that is Jesus Christ. The greenest pastures that have ever been known to man are available to you. Even in this life, you can have a taste of them. If you don't believe me, talk to someone that came with you this morning or is nearby with you. Talk to them and ask them, what does it mean to have life, life to the full even now? Do you have that life, life to the full? Do you enjoy life more? as a result of passing through the door that is Jesus Christ. You may then be saying, okay, yes, I want to be saved from the wolves. I want to enter into the greenest of pastures. What must I do to enter in through Jesus Christ? What must I do? Well, the scriptures are very plain in saying that all you need to do is believe. All you need to do is trust that Jesus Christ is the doorway by which you enter into eternal life. That if you were to die tonight and God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? You would say, because I trusted in Jesus. He is the doorway. Nothing else. I don't bring anything else. None of my works. None of my riches. None of my friends from the past world. No, it's all Jesus Christ. I trusted in him and him alone in my previous life. And so now... I can come into your place because you promised so in your word. That does mean that you will have to humble yourself. You will have to humble yourself this morning if you are to trust in Jesus Christ because that means you cannot bring anything in, as I said before. None of your works can come through. The great Augustine, the uh, early church father, he said that the doorway of Jesus Christ is a very low door. It's a very low door. You have to stoop very, 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 very low. You have to humble yourself very, very low to get through it. You have to strip off all your works. You have to pass through with nothing. You cannot bring anything through. You simply go through by faith in Jesus Christ. The doorway that is Jesus Christ is like the metal detectors at the airport. Now you try to pass through and if you've got metal on you, they beep and they push you back. You're not allowed to go through. You've got to keep going back and back and take off more and more of the metal that may be on you so that then you can finally pass through. It's the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you pass through his doorway wearing good works, you're pushed back. You cannot enter through. The alarms go off. Beep, beep, beep. This person's bringing in good works. They're not acceptable to pass through into heaven. Yes, you can do good works after you pass through the door. In fact, you're expected to do so. As a Christian, you pass through Jesus and then you start to actually do good works by the power of Jesus Christ. And all for all of eternity, we will do good works. But to pass through Jesus Christ, you cannot have any good works on you. The alarms will sound and you'll be pushed back and you will not be able to enter into the sheepfold. You may have objections. As I tell you there, you need to enter through this doorway without good works, by faith alone. You say, ah, isn't there another door into eternal life? No, Jesus is the door. That's what it says there in the text. Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate. The definite article there. He's not a gate for the sheep. And verse 9, I am the gate. Definite article. I'm not a gate There's only one gateway into heaven, 
and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Another objection you may have is that, oh, I have a full life now. I don't need life to the full from Jesus because I already have a full life. If that is you, it's a lie from the wolf. It is a lie from the wolf. You're being stolen, killed and destroyed. Verse 10 there talks about one of the wolves. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That is what is happening to you if you think that you have life even now, life to the full. It's a lie. And you will one day realise that you never had life to the full at all. Ah, another objection you may have is that ah, I don't deserve eternal life. I don't deserve eternal life. Yes, you spoke before, Joel, about how wretched, blind and pitiful I am and how when God looks at me and sees me in my sin... How could he possibly want me to be a part of his kingdom? How could he want me to enter into heaven when I have such terrible baggage? Well, what does verse 9 say? I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever. Whoever. Doesn't matter who you are. As long as you enter. That's the main thing. It doesn't matter what race or creed, what status you have in society, what age you are, whoever enters through me. Children here today, you can enter through as well. Whoever enters, all you have to do is believe. So none of your objections are valid. Another door, full life, I have it now without Christ, or I'm too terrible to enter into heaven. Jesus is the door, and we can all enter by faith if we will do so. Jesus is a very attractive door, but I encourage all of us in this room, don't just look at Jesus. Make sure you go through as he intended to do so. He is the door. A door was made for a purpose. A door was made to go through. And I encourage you all, make sure you've entered through that door. And once you have, keep on remembering what you have through Jesus and the entrance that he made and give him glory, love him, praise him, and show others that wonderful door by which you have life and life to the full. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the door to life, life to the full. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for opening the way for us, for laying down your life for sheep such as we. Oh, Lord, we confess that we are not as grateful as we should be. We ask that you would help us never to forget the privilege you have given us and help us to love you more and more as we recall again and again what it means that you lay down your life for the sheep and what it means that we have life and life to the full. And, Lord, we ask that anyone who may be here this morning who has not passed through the door, who has not gone through the gate to life, life to the full, We pray that you would give them a desire to do so now. Grant them faith in Jesus, that faith that saves, so that they would now have life and life to the full. And we pray this in in your son's name. Amen.